Hi, folks. Keith Jones for Front Row Knowles. We appreciate your listening to our podcasts and all the things that uh, go into what we do in terms of watching Florida State Athletics. But we would remind you that part of Florida State Athletics is certainly Seminole Boosters. Uh, athletics can't do what they do without the support of you and without the support of Seminole Boosters. So we encourage you, if you're not already a member, consider joining Seminole Boosters. If you are a member, consider increasing your participation. Without Seminole Boosters, Florida State Athletics is going to be run of the mill. With Seminole Boosters, Florida State can work their way towards elite. And oh, by the way, they're doing pretty good on the football field. They're doing pretty good on the pitch for soccer. Uh, and they're uh, getting ready to do good on both the men and women's side on the hardwood. Join Seminole Boosters, support Seminole Boosters, and continue to support Front Row Knowles. Go Knowles! Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Good day, everybody. Tom Block, Keith Jones with you. This is Front Row Knowles. KJ, are you still uh, out there doing the happy dance about Florida State beating Florida? Still doing the happy dance. As we've talked about, it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. When you win the state championship, there's two things that happens. Number one, you're happy. Happy, happy, happy. And number two, you're on track and you've got a chance to at least think about competing for a national championship. So that's where Florida State sits right now. And has your opinion about their chances to compete for a national championship changed at all in light of the most recent college football playoff rankings, which moved well, not, FSU back into the top four? Not changed, just always um, fearful, uh, as, as anybody who's associated with Florida State can be, just always fearful that the committee will be looking at things that maybe we would suggest they shouldn't look at. But um, I think we're seeing – Next week will be the, the defining point, point if Florida State's victorious over Louisville. If you're undefeated, if you're 13-0, and 0, uh, regardless of who you played, you should be given um, credence and, and, and credit towards doing what you did. And if FSU beats Louisville, I think they are in the playoff, regardless of what the score is. Yeah, I think so, too. I, I, I think so, too. They, they could have avoided some of this, KJ, when they started this playoff, but they actually crafted criteria and, and stuck to it, i.e. you're going to get X amount of points if you won your conference championship, X amount of points if you're undefeated. But they wanted to just keep it broad and nebulous so that they could go into a room and come out and defend the indefensible, which they've done at times. Every week it's a different story. But I really don't think they want to open the can of worms of leaving an unbeaten power five champ out. Should, not, should Alabama not at all. beat Georgia? Yeah, I, I just can't think I, – I don't think they'd want to do that. Not at all. Uh, because, again, you've got to defend it. Now, once we go to the 12 teams and we have the five automatic qualifiers, uh, you know, as, as ridiculous and silly as it may sound based on what we know now, you know, an eight and four or a seven five conference champion – I'm sorry, in the 12-team format, the conference championship still matters. And, and as a result, you may get a, a time or two, uh, a team with, with more losses than you would anticipate. But the, the whole process and concept of making it eye candy and what's percepted and, and versus what was done on the field, um, at least so far in 2023, uh, the committee has done, in my, my estimation, the appropriate thing 
by making the undefeateds the undefeateds and the ones with one loss uh, on the outside looking in. All right, <clears throat> excuse me. How about the uh, the all ACC teams, which we'll talk about in deeper detail with Bob Ferrante. But FSU leads all schools with seventeen selections on the first, second, and third teams, including uh, eight on the first team. And Jordan Travis was in that list, which a month ago you would have thought it would have been Drake May, right? But Travis gets hurt, and May just doesn't perform on the field at the end. And uh, I think that's well earned and well deserved for Jordan. I do, I do. And again, when the uh, offensive and defensive players of the year come out, I think Florida State faithful are going to be pleased with those selections as well. We'll wait and see, but that's my that's my thought process. Yeah, I think the voting would indicate it, it, it probably is going to be Jordan offensively. Could be Kalen DeLoach defensively, although I'm not sure. Defense is more of a mixed bag. You got some uh, uh, strong representation there, including the linebacker at NC State, linebacker at Clemson, DL at uh, Louisville. How about coach of the year? Is it going to be Jeff Brom because not much was expected, or is a Florida State coach finally going to win this for what Florida State did this year? You know, Tommy, I, I hate what I'm fixing to say, but because of how far Louisville has come and because how much momentum Florida State was riding coming in off of 12-win season, uh, I think that's going to play in the favor of Coach Brom versus Coach Norvell. I hope I'm wrong. I'll be happy to say I'm wrong, but 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 Jeff, Jeff needs a, to be acknowledged for what he's been able to do at Louisville. And, and, and maybe the biggest part is a very, very old-fashioned part. He's a Louisville guy that went back to Louisville and resurrected him. We all love Coach Norvell, uh, but he didn't play his college ball in Tallahassee. And um, I would be okay if uh, Coach Brom gets that award and Coach Nor Norvell is second. Uh, looking in, I will obviously celebrate if Mike gets that award and we can all be happy for him. I'll remind you, this is front row Knowles, not front row Cardinals, uh, KJ. But when you look, I just looked up the preseason predictions. I knew FSU was picked second uh, behind Clemson. So uh, they did overachieve, but Louisville was picked eighth, to your exactly. point. Exactly. We all knew Louisville had a pretty favorable schedule and, and they made the most of it. But uh, I, I don't know. You know, it's a, it's an award for this season, Keith. But I don't know how you could watch Florida State and look at Norvell and not admire what he's done over a four-year span. Again, I know it's a one-season award. This team was horrific four years ago, and now they're 12-0, and 60 minutes away from going to the playoffs. Well, here's the other part of it, and I think Coach Norvell, if he would be honest, would be willing to uh, acknowledge. You know, maybe he doesn't get ACC Coach of the Year, but it, maybe he picks up a couple of three of the National Coaches of the Year. I think he would. Yeah. I think he would and take I, that trade off. I, honestly, I don't think he cares if he gets any of them. He wants his team to win, you know. But I think you're right. He would take the trade off. All right, we'll take a break. Bob Ferranti, our Osceola insider, is going to join us next, and uh, we uh, are just getting started here on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom Block joined by Bob Ferrante, our Osceola insider. Bob, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm still looking back at that game against Florida. I know we really should be looking ahead. It, it was funny with all this, and we'll get to it, all this chatter about the playoffs and FSU without Jordan, FSU with Tate. 
I really wasn't concerned about that at all. It's, it's funny when you get into Gator week, all of a sudden the magnitude of that rivalry stands out. And I kind of blocked out everything else. Like it literally was the coach speak. Let's just focus on this one and see how it goes. I don't know if you had a similar feeling for it, but it really was, uh, you know, it was kind of separated from the way the whole rest of the season was to me. And let's just play the game at Florida. You know, it almost seemed to me like the storylines were, yes, Tate Rodemaker is filling in. Yes, you have to play really well around Tate. And I almost felt like, you know, the fans would be thrilled with a one-point win over Florida. And it didn't matter. You know, no, nothing matters in the rivalry games. Nothing doesn't matter what the score is. Just win. And, and yeah, it wasn't pretty. It wasn't aesthetically pleasing. I think it's been the storyline of the team this year, right? That it, it hasn't been a team that starts very fast but it's been a team that gets the job done and i think that's maybe what we can appreciate about these guys is um despite the flaws and and you've got the injuries but you get the job done that's that's maybe what i think is just so cool about watching these guys they figure out a way through that resolve to uh to get the job done and and we've joked about it on twitter right that uh you know, they like to play Tom Petty down in Gainesville. That's their fourth quarter tradition, just like eastbound and down at, at Doak. But, you know, Florida was a team that had to back down. Florida State's defense was the one that made Florida back down in that fourth quarter. So I think that was really, really cool, just how the defense sealed it all up there at the end. Yeah, we need to talk about the defense. I'll I'll interject, Bob, and this is probably not a popular opinion among FSU folks. I, I actually think the Tom Petty thing has worked out pretty well for Florida between the third and fourth quarter. It's pretty it's a pretty cool scene when they do it there. Now the irony you're referring to that they did not go forward after they said they won't back down and all they did was back up. Uh, that that is pretty ironic and pretty funny. And and maybe as we look back at this season, Bob, you know, we all left Orlando thinking, man, this offense is just scratching the surface. They're going to be unbelievable. And in hindsight, maybe we should have left saying, you know what? That defense is really good. Look how they held down Jaden Daniels and LSU. That's really going to be what anchors this team. And here we are 12 games later. And I don't know that that's entirely true because you can point out that Florida State has not faced Hall of Fame quarterbacks many Saturdays out there but you also can't argue with the results I mean especially in the second half what they've done has been flat out impressive yeah what October November they haven't given up more than 20 points to any opponent and yeah like you're saying we can critique who has been the starting quarterback for those opponents we can critique how healthy Riley Leonard or Garrett Schrader were but in the end that force eight defense has done a really good job yeah, I think at times we've sort of looked at this defense as a bend but don't break. And Adam Fuller does not maybe like that term overall. I think that's what college football has become. I think really good defenses play great in situations. Third down stops, red zone forcing field goals instead of touchdowns, takeaways. You know, Adam Fuller is huge on takeaways for a reason because that swings momentum, it halts drives, it gives you the, the ball to your offense, uh, ideally with a shorter field. I, I think we're seeing a defense that's playing in the modern college football version very, very well. You'd love to see a an old school Mickey Andrews type defense that keeps a team to 
say a touchdown or a field goal or pitches a shutout. I'm not sure the college football with the the spread offenses and the rules and the way things have become that that may just be gone to some extent. I think we have to appreciate again what this defense has done, this collection of talent, how they've adjusted in game. I think the the coaching staff's really done a great job, you know, halftime in game making adjustments. So yeah, this this defense has has been very very impressive, doing a lot of things well, not everything well again but a lot of things really, really well. No, a lot of things. Uh, and this this team, not just the defense, overall, they've been really good situationally this year. And that's kind of what stuck out to me about the start of the game the other night against Florida. They weren't good situationally in terms of Florida staying on the field was converting third downs. FSU couldn't convert third downs. Uh, you know, so was, there, were, there were times in that game where, you know, obviously the one that the ball that goes through Keon's hands you need to get six there, not settle for three, right? But but they overcame that anyway. And in terms of the defense, I don't really know where to start. Uh, I, I guess it's it would be hyperbole to say that's the best game I've seen a safety have in a while because Akeem Dent played great, but we just were coming off two years of Jamie Robinson, who was who was pretty damn good. But as far as you know, and, and even Jared Verse, I mean, I don't want to sell Pat Payton and Braden Fisk short, but the end of that game with what Verse was doing. I, that was kind of flashbacks to some of the first rounders from uh, dynasties gone by uh, with what he was doing there. The one, the one meme of him just pushing the tackle into the quarterback, that's going to live on uh, 20 years from now, whatever X is called then, or however we're communicating via social media, that meme will still exist. Yeah. Somebody said in the moment, that's going to be like that Derwin James hit where he pancaked the offensive lineman. I think that was like 2015 or so down there. Yeah. So, yes, that feels like a, a moment that really, I think, galvanizes the defense. And I, I think Mike Norvell has made that a storyline, that to have a championship-caliber team, he's analyzed it. What are the strengths of a lot of these programs that have won titles? And without saying the word Georgia, I think he he really hit on you have to have that kind of depth on the defensive line. So a lot of people wonder, why do you rest a defensive lineman early in the game? Why do you rest guys? It's because you want these high-quality reps, third quarter, fourth quarter, and it's worked to Florida State's advantage. Uh, again, whether we agree with it or not, having that kind of depth so that you've got arrested Fabian Love at Braden Fisk, Josh Farmer, Malcolm Ray, you know, name your guy, name your edge rusher. They're a little bit more rested than the other guy across the line from him. I think it's just been a, I think that's been part of the growth of this program from truly very little to no depth four years ago to what they have now. And then your, your point about Akeem Dent, I think is, is really spot on. I mean, what he did in terms of just open field tackles, we hadn't seen that kind of tackling from him consistently. We've seen him really be a good blitzer on those delayed blitzes too. He's been a really good guy in that kind of role. And then they've used Shaheen Brown and Kaylin Deloach in some of those roles too. I think that's what, what's made this defense really good is you don't know where the blitz is coming from too. You've got so many different elements that that Adam Fuller can throw at you. I think he's even hinted there may be more blitz options they haven't even shown through 12 games. So it's just a lot of different elements that that this defense has and they can throw at people. I think we all owe Akeem Den an apology because when the team struggled against BC and Clemson, 
we pointed to lots of things, but we didn't really point to the absence of Akeem Dent potentially being the reason that they were having such trouble getting lined up and just not playing sound soundly back there. So apologies, Akeem, if you if you listen to Front Row Knowles. Um, as far as the substitution pattern, I noticed this during the game, Bob. Now they obviously they've been substituting throughout the season. And, and I thought it was just a drive rotation or maybe a snap count. And I'm not exactly sure, but this one was a page from Leonard Hamilton's book. I, I don't know if you noticed, you know, Hamill take a guy out 20 seconds before a media break. So they get the extended break through the media timeout and then they go back in. Well, at the end of the third quarter, Florida got the ball back with time for one play. And on the first down play, the backup defensive ends were in. And I thought, well, that's strange because the backup defensive ends had played the previous series, but they only played first down. Then you got to the quarter break. And when it was second down to start the fourth quarter, Verse and Peyton were back in there. And I said, well, look at that. They got them an extra three and a half, whatever that amounted to in terms of your recovery time. So I don't exactly know the science. I don't know if it's truly plays, if it's a defined amount of time, but whatever it is, it's worked. And, and it also makes me think, and I haven't watched Georgia very much, but when you look at the scoreboard and we're in an FSU game and you go, oh, Georgia's only winning 14 to 10, they're kind of struggling. Well, maybe it's the same thing we've seen with FSU. Like they're rotating. And by the time you get to the third and fourth quarter, they're just pouring it on and finishing 24 to three runs, just like FSU has been doing. I think a little bit of that might be sort of a, you know, a suffocation philosophy, just that the snake kind of squeezing the prey and just letting you wear yourself out. Um, I, I love the substitution concept. I think John Papucha said on, on Monday in part that they felt like in the second half, the defense was forcing three and outs. That helped keep guys rested. There were the extra TV timeouts from the national broadcast or the longer TV timeouts, I guess I should say, from those TV broadcasts. So there are elements within the game that they were aware of that they had thought about, hey, if this goes Florida State's way, they can do this to rest guys so it's really an interesting way of just kind of game planning through the nuances of the clock through if you're successful on the field and you've got the personnel to take advantage of it. I think we've seen Gilbert Edmonds, maybe not a guy that we're going to talk about a ton at this point in the year, but how much better is he now? How much more of a contributor is he now compared to 10, 12 games ago? I think you're seeing enough guys step in that you feel like there's just such a minimal drop-off in that, say, one, two, three reps in a row. And again, if you get the three and outs, this isn't that big of an issue. It's it's when the opponent gets steamrolling with tempo that really kind of kicks your butt as a defense. We need to get to the championship game, the matchup with Louisville, and also the all-ACC teams. But, but one thought is we're on this defensive line. Should FSU make the playoffs, they get Daryl Jackson back. And obviously, that bolsters the depth at the D-tackle position. But I've wondered all year, had they had him, if that would have allowed them to move Fisk outside on certain downs or Dennis Briggs. So specific current situation, they know that Jackson can rotate him in. Do you think they move those guys and put them in there? Or do you think they're pretty comfortable? They've gone a full year with what their four main edge rushers are right now. It's a really good debate. It's a really good question that I'm not sure the coaches will, will be willing to give a straight answer going into the game. I think it'll be curious to see how it plays out on the field. 
Hey, I, I would argue, and, and some people might say the same, Daryl Jackson often looks like the best defensive tackle in practice. Just the way he practices, and he's consistently very, very good, you know, day in and day out. I I think he's going to fit in quite well immediately into the game. You know, once, again, let's say Florida State's in the playoff. Um, does that push Fisk out? My guess would be potentially on third downs, you know, on a third down pass rush situation. You might say that's the guy that you want to, to maybe push out a little bit wide. But I, I think to some extent, too, you might say, well, Fisk is very comfortable in the role he's got. Let's maybe minimize how much you take him out of that that comfort zone in a high pressure situation, maybe in a potentially in a loud dome situation. If you're in New Orleans, for example, in the Sugar Bowl, Um it, lots of things to kick around, but the staff definitely has time to think about that, you know, with a few weeks before uh, between games. Yeah, I don't know if the reward is worth the risk for just potentially two games when you're basically creating some disarray at another position instead of just at one position. All right, let's do this. Let's take a break. We'll come back and uh, we'll focus on the ACC championship game and the ACC, uh, the all-conference teams as a whole. That's right after this on Front Row Knowles. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Back on Front Row Knowles, we continue our conversation with Bob Franti from the Osceola. Bob, what's the Osceola got going this week in terms of its coverage uh, leading up to a something that we once thought was an automatic? But uh, it turns out that it's not, and that is the ACC championship game. Yeah, it's been a while, right? It's been nine years, and that's that's hard to uh, hard to fathom. It's been that long. It seems like it's been what nine nine difficult long years at, at times, maybe. Um, but we've, I think, we've done a, an interesting job of kind of looking at different storylines. You know, Kurt just wrote about, you know, we were just talking about defense, Jared Verse and Patrick Payton, and the kind of the impact they've had over these last few games, kind of playing their best football of late. Um, you know, we're going to kind of do a, a deeper examination of, of the transfer portal and, you know, maybe certain positions that will be of need when uh, when that portal opens up on Monday. I think another storyline that, that maybe we haven't appreciated enough just is that, hey, a lot of guys came back to Florida State in 2023 for one more ride you know, to help this team potentially win an ACC title, get to a college football playoff and, and fight for something a little bit more. And I think what's what's neat about that is you can honor a lot of these guys with 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 their hard work, with what they've done. You know, we're thinking about Johnny Wilson, Trey Benson, obviously Jordan Travis, but, you know, the linebackers like Bethune and Deloach um, first came back, Fabian Lovett, you look at almost every position group and somebody, some veteran decided to come back. And yeah, I mean, part of it was they got some NIL money out of it. But I think that's pretty neat what what the talent retention was. And I think part of that is is reflected in in the culture that that Coach Norvell and, and the players and the coaches have built here just to have so many of these veterans come back, be productive, be leaders and you're in this spot, you're 12 and 0, and you're you're really one win away from a ring and one win away from a uh, spot in the college football playoff. 
But mentioning all those names, we'll dive into the all ACC teams. Uh, Keith Jones has uh, rejoined us. He had to take care of some business. KJ, uh, we hashed through the Florida win, so we're on to the the all conference teams. And Bob, if I read this right, Florida State did they set a record for for how many guys were recognized? I got to say, uh, and and you can share tidbits about the voting maybe, but this is the least tobacco road centric voting I can recall as I look at this. There's actually diversity and a good bit of the conference is represented, including Florida State, which is the 12 and 0 lead dog in the league, should have this many guys on there. But I mean, on the first team, you have Jordan Travis, you have Keon twice because he's on there as receiver and all purpose. Then you have Darius and Dimitri uh, Emmanuel. I'm not sure that Dimitri maybe deserved first team, but that's where he landed. And on the defensive side, you got Jared Verse, Kalen Deloach. Uh, I mean, so that's a pretty good start. And there's about 17 more guys across the team. What were your thoughts when you saw the voting, Bob? The first thing that jumped out is on the first, second, and third teams, you've got 16 guys. Eight are transfers. Eight are guys who were either inherited by the staff or they were high school prospects Norvell and the coaches identified, brought in, developed. So we're we're talking about narratives. And again, part of this is maybe Twitter. Part of this is the Miami fan base is drumming up a storyline. The Florida fan base is drumming up a storyline. But that narrative of Mike Norvell hits the portal but can't develop players, I think has been frequently proven fraudulent by a lot of wins, obviously. He's shown that you can sustain success by blending philosophies, blending the portal, blending the high school recruiting. And, and this is it. This, this is your, your proof of concept that you've got this many talented guys. And you can always develop a transfer portal guy, too. I, I don't understand how people don't think you don't develop a guy out of the transfer portal. That's, that's just crazy for me that that even gets out there. But to see this many candidates, you know, from Florida State, well represented across all the positions, I think it's pretty, pretty impressive just to show the growth of this roster across all the positions. And, and guys, too, I think, and I apologize for my tardiness, I think some of that also proves the um, depth and the perspective of this staff. I mean, one of the things that doesn't get talked about in this Florida State squad from 20. 23 is is what the staff has been able to accomplish we appropriately spend a lot of time talking about coach norvell and, and as i said should but what the staff has been able to do in terms of developing players and putting them in a position to excel uh, also is a very big part of the success of florida state uh, it's not just the head guy it's the associates and the assistants that he has around him uh, that's making this a well well-rounded program I think I agree. And and Odell, we've always respected Odell as a guy who has put young men in the NFL or prepared them for life. Part of this whole Norvell and the staff narrative, I think, took on a life of its own because of how often the Seminoles were in the portal out of necessity because high school recruiting hadn't elevated to, to that point just yet. But also because of talent retention, you haven't seen as many players drafted yet out of Florida State. You saw Jamie Robinson get drafted, but because the Seminoles retained the talent, it wasn't, oh, Norvell's sending all these guys to the NFL. It was, oh, they only had one guy drafted last year off a 10-win team. 
and, and you look at it from the outside, you don't understand the why. You look at it from the inside, you know, of of fan and media and analysts, and you say, well, this makes perfect sense. What Coach Norvell was planning for the long term, it's keep guys in school, hopefully get them diplomas, develop them for life in the NFL, develop a really good core culture team to go chase a title. I, I think a lot of coaches who are kind of questioning the portal and can you sustain it, I, I think there's a formula that Mike Norvell and the staff have have really hit on here. It's It's been pretty impressive. Bob, I want to cement home the point you're making, but for our listeners' sake, it, it, it's your understanding the way this voting is done is that there's only two representatives that cover each school that are allowed to vote. So in other words, everybody's got equal representation. Is that what you're suggesting? That's the way it's been historically. And full disclosure, I don't have a vote on the postseason in the preseason. I do as somebody who travels to Charlotte for ACC kickoff. So it's a little bit different voting preseason versus postseason. Well, it's definitely reflect like the, the first team defense. You got Louisville, FSU, Clemson, Duke, NC State, Clemson, FSU, Carolina, Clemson, BC, Miami, Virginia. So there's pretty it's pretty well spread out. But to your point about developing talent, as we're talking, the ACC offensive and defensive player of the years uh, year have not been announced. But based on Jordan Travis getting 40 more votes than Drake May for first team all ACC quarterback, pretty good chance that's going to go to Jordan. And defensively, if this was tobacco road heavy media, I think it would be Peyton Wilson with NC State. But if it's two from each school, I mean, the Clemson guys might be inclined to vote for Kalen DeLoach based on what he did to turn that game. And there's some others that saw him, too. And regardless, the point is Kalen's in the short list for that discussion. And both he and Travis are guys that uh, Kalen started at FSU. Jordan didn't start at FSU, but he developed at FSU. He's a fifth year guy. So I think you're, I think you're right on there. It's uh, And I think Florida State should get all the credit for developing the Aussie punter and all the time that they've spent working with, with, with him, don't you think? I mean, that is definitely development. <laughs> I, I think JP kind of smiles sometimes and says, you know, a lot of things that Alex does, I, I really didn't help him with that. That that's that's really all him. And I think I think there's a lot of good discussion among those guys, but but they realize that Alex is kind of well taking the ball and run with it is, is maybe a bad pun there, but he, he does take the ball and, and kick it. So maybe there's something there too. I thought they would all just take credit for giving him the accent because everybody liked the accent. What about the <laughs> hair? I don't know about the hair though, guys. Hey, if you're going to punt like that, I don't care about the mullet. It's all good. Bob, we've gone this far and haven't even asked you about the playoff. I know you at the Osceola, you guys were live as it was unveiled uh, with your, with your own podcasts and, uh, and media coverage. Are, are you firmly in the camp that if FSU wins, even if it's 3-2, 10-9, 13-12, whatever, if they win, they're going to be in the playoff? Okay, I think so. I think we think so. The throw out the ESPN manufactured chaos theories and, okay, what happens if Alabama beats Georgia? What happens if... I don't know what would have to happen between Washington and Oregon to, to continue the chaos, right? Michigan's not going to lose to Iowa. I think we all kind of get the feeling that Michigan's in uh, just a much more dominating team than an Iowa without a much of an offense. I, I think Florida State wins and is in 
you just kind of fear what happens of a Georgia, Alabama, Alabama wins on a random last second play, like what happened last Saturday against. They're Auburn. not complete. They're not converting fourth and 31 against Georgia, Bob. It's not happening. Well, you never know. But I, I think I think the problem is, does the committee give that any true thought coupled with the whole, well, Jordan Travis is not playing for Florida State scenario? The only reason why I bring that up, I know they've said that's not a factor. I do. I think Florida State, based on body of work, 13-0 in the playoff. But if somebody in the committee says, is Florida State 13-0 with Tate Rodemaker worthy? If they start having doubts about those conversations, that's the kind of stuff that kind of keeps me, you know, scratching my head. Is that going to be a discussion point in the room? I hope that people shut it down, that coaches say that team won on the field regardless of the quarterback. But you just wonder what those conversations are going to be like over the weekend. And to echo that point, you've got to hope that the, the Jim Grobes, and the other coaches that are members of the playoff committee uh, are able to, and I think they would, it's just a question of are they listened to? I think they would make the case that we've got to go with points on the scoreboard, not the way it looks, or not who's going to be there the next time they kick off. I, you know, I agree. I, I didn't think we'd be in this scenario. I thought there'd be a number of one-loss teams that were still in this mix. And Oregon's probably got the best shot to be in the mix if they knock off Washington. Oregon looks like a good team. They could jump in. If Oregon wins that game, I'm, I'm all for them being in the playoff. But, man, if you won all your games, that's, that's something special. I mean, really, KJ, you know it. You yep. know what it means. If you win all of your games in the regular season, you deserve a seat at the table. You've earned it. That's that's my argument. You know, something nobody's talking about because it's just assumed that Oregon is going to beat Washington because people feel like they should have won the first one. I mean, Oregon has one win over a top 25 team right now, and that's Oregon State, who they beat the other night, who's eight and four. Uh, there is a scenario where Georgia wins, Michigan wins, FSU wins, and Washington wins, and there's four unbeatens left, and the committee doesn't need to spend any time deliberating anything and spends about four seconds and goes, here's your four, you know? And and after after six weeks of all this stuff about who looks better, uh, I'm just, Keith knows, I'm, I'm tired of the beauty contest. Uh, the irony is- that As well year, you should be, Mr. Block, as well you should be. Well, you know, the irony is next year, if you win your conference, now there's going to be 12 spots, but if you win your conference, you know you're in. So exactly, FSU could go seven and five next year, but if they're seven and one in the league and they win the ACC, guess what? They're still in the playoff and we don't have to worry about the beauty contest. All right, Bob, you said you think FSU is going to win. So how, how confident or comfortable are you in that uh, based on how Florida State performed in Gainesville, tough environment compared to a neutral site against a Louisville team that has a really good record uh, but then some curious losses, most notably to Pitt, although giving up a, a 24-point second half to Kentucky wasn't ideal either. I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. There is all the respect for what Louisville can do. Big-time running game, really good defense, but has given up some points in some curious situations, i.e. Mark Stoops in Kentucky last week at home. How do you lose to Pittsburgh? I think that's that's a really weird one. 
even though you can chalk it up to earlier in the season, fluke, who knows, that kind of thing. I, I just think Florida State is a better team around Tate Rodemaker, a better team on a neutral field than what you saw on Saturday in the Swamp. Um, can I see Louisville win? Definitely. This is not a, a world beater 2013 Florida State that's just crushing people. But the way they play in the second half, they're kind of they're kind of crushing people in the second half. Let's be honest. If this game is close, you feel good about the Seminoles third quarter, fourth quarter, getting to the finish line. And 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 Coach uh, Norvell talked about it uh, early in the week in, in his press conference. Part of the offensive struggles FSU versus Florida was about communication and and understanding the communication. And, and making calls and what, what Tate could do at the line of scrimmage and getting plays in late. In theory, those types of things rectify themselves game one versus game two. Go back to what we used to always say. Where did you make your biggest progress? As a team, it's team one versus uh, game one versus game two. Well, in a, in a micro shot, if you will, biggest um, increase, biggest gain for Florida State offensively is what Tate's able to comprehend and process and then do on the field. Game one is a starter versus game two is a starter. And I think you'll see that that incremental and that big increase in productivity. At least we hope so. Yeah, I think I for him too, it's he just hasn't had that much time on the right. game field. He's had a ton of time on the practice field. It's helped prepare him, but only so much. And I think he's been through some of these pressure situations now. Yes, North Alabama going back to Louisville. Florida's going to be as tough of, of an environment as he's ever seen. Now he can build on these experiences. I, I think it's it's really good for his development. And again, he's got talent around him. He's got an absurd amount of talent around him. Don't make mistakes. I think the staff has emphasized that more than anything. Tate didn't make mistakes on Saturday. That's the best thing that he did was not force a, a really bad throw, not give the ball away. Bob, great conversation. Uh, see you in uh, Charlotte this week, I presume. Appreciate your uh, your insight as always, sir. All right. Take care, guys. All right. We'll be back to wrap up Front Row Knowles right after this. Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. And by the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Now back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, just a couple minutes to finish things up. Uh, Keith, as they're having these debates, I don't recall hearing anybody go up and say, well, let's give Tate a chance. Do you remember what Jalen Milrow looked like in his first two games as Alabama's quarterback? By game three and four, all world. I think it's that simple an argument. And and, and to be made, uh, I I thought, and I still believe in Tate, but I thought that the Florida game would be a be a breakout game. I think Tate has it in him. You know, may, I, maybe it's Louisville, maybe it's the next game after that. I still believe that at some point before his career is over at Florida State, folks are going to say, you know, 
he he's a really good quarterback. He just didn't get that many opportunities as a starter. I think we've put all this on Tate, and the reality is in the first quarter the other night, FSU ran three plays. The first one was a pop pass for a gain of four, and the second one was a loss of 11 by Trey Benson trying to do things Trey Benson shouldn't try to do. It left a third and 17, and Tate's not going to convert. I don't even remember what the play was. And then Jordan, they didn't Travis, the Jordan Travis might not convert that. They didn't get the ball back till the second quarter. So we pinned that all on, on Tate, and really none of that was his fault. Uh, now, he's got to have more awareness than he did on the safety. I, I also think they managed that game knowing that this was not going to be a shootout and Florida was not going to score 35 points. So we're not going to go out there and try to dial up 35. We're going to manage the game. This week will be a little bit different because Louisville can do more offensively. And, and obviously field position got involved. But I, I think it will look more like what we expect from Tate. And maybe that'll just continue the hot, cold, you know, one day he's great, one day he's not discussion that's been going on for a while. But there is a lot more in there for him. And it also goes back to the discussion that you'll never get anybody to agree about. Uh, and that is, as you alluded to, how did Alex and how did Mike, how did Coach uh, Atkins and Coach Norvell put the game plan together and how did they call the plays, particularly early in the first two, three, four, five series? It's going to be dramatically different against Louisville in my prediction. Yeah, I think so, too. I'm just looking at the uh, Charlotte weather right now as Tallahassee gets ready for its uh, freeze warning. I think it's warming up by this weekend, though, at least a little bit. I don't think it's 20s, but I do think it's going to be rainy uh, as we go back to Charlotte. But then again, Keith, we, it's been nine years since we've been there, so maybe I should just shut my mouth and enjoy it. What do you think? Uh, I think you should just shut your mouth and enjoy it. But But that has nothing to do with this week. I think that's every week. And on that note, I think we're out of time, Keith. I appreciate your your candor as always. Thanks for uh, making the show, by the way. I appreciate I, you. I, I, thank you for having me. Thank you for letting me in the Zoom call. <laughs> All right, folks, we're out of time. Enjoy championship weekend. Go Knowles. And hopefully next time we talk to you, we're uh, discussing restaurants and cuisine either uh, in the French Quarter or in Pasadena and who Florida State's matching up with in the college football playoffs. Until then, he's Keith. I'm Tom. Thanks for tuning in to Front Row Knowles.